Okay, so should we should we start? Yeah, let's start. We're doing it. Live show begins now. I'm not sure why this is like more embarrassing to read <laughs> read these show notes. Out. <laughs> you don't have editing to hide behind. That's why. I know. Okay, <laughs> it'll be fun. Welcome to Farming Eternal, an eternal podcast for farmers, hosted by me, Patrick, or Padumaro, and Hats on Lamps. It's episode fifty. For those of you tuning in for the first time, we are a draft focused podcast. Our goal is to help you and me, mostly me, get better at draft. We get into the nitty-gritty of the drafting process with a little meta-analysis and play tips thrown in. And for those of you who don't know, this is our episode 50 Patreon goal extravaganza live episode. So everyone who's in the audience, clap. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you. Yep. So... um, we appreciate you guys or everyone for coming out to our live show. We're really excited to be doing this. Uh, thanks also to our Patreons for patrons for making this all possible. So this week we're going to talk about how our draft week went. Thank our patrons. Card of the week seven win run breakdown. Our main topic: sacrificing our future. And we're going to do a live draft with some chat help. So to begin with, hats. How was your draft week? My draft week was great. Thank you for asking. Uh, I think it's mathematically impossible for me to be doing better than I am right now. So I'm in a, a pocket of, of good variance, I guess. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, uh, I did a chat draft on stream yesterday. Uh, my my chat uh, really hooked me up. They led me to a 7-0 draft, uh, <laughs> 7-0 draft victory. And... Uh, uh, it was that it was a lot of fun. It was a deck with two clock roaches and like some other weird cards, but it was also a tradition deck, which, as we know, is very strong. It's a justice time primal uh, relics matters kind of a deck, and in this format, that may be the best archetype. Uh, so, so uh, we did it as a team, but also that is the third seven zero draft in a row that I've done in this format, and that means I've got twenty one straight games that I have won in draft. Uh, possibly more because I don't remember what happened before that. So part of this is is probably knowing what I'm doing. Part of it is that I've been getting lucky, um, but I cannot complain. That is about as good as I can be doing right now. How was your draft week? My draft week has been uh, up and down, though I guess the opposite, down and up. I started the first part of this week sort of contemplating quitting Eternal, and um, (laughs) but things have turned turned around as we'll be talking about in our main topic i i think four of my six last drafts have all been these like weird sacrifice decks and i would not say i have figured out how to make them work yet despite always ending up in them recently well that is going to be our main topic today, so uh, we'll have a chance to chat about why that is happening. All right, so um, on to announcements. So first, as usual, we'd like to thank our patrons here. So you can uh, join our Patreon at patreon.com slash farmingeternal for as little as a dollar a month. You get access to our show notes, recording bloopers. You force us to do these live shows. <laughs> The power you'll feel. (laughs) And um, you get to be part of the many lists of names that we read out every episode. So first off, I'd like to thank Commander Salamander, 
who did a generous one-time donation. Um, so he joined their Patreon and then immediately quit it. Um, but so we do appreciate that though. So that is a way you can donate if you don't want to donate every month or whatever. Um, if you don't want to risk forgetting that you are actually a patron to this show. And then uh, our veteran patrons are Abednego, Clinical Cynic, Meagles, Madness, Big Salty, Titus and Blossom, Parmalee, Death, Darth Herman II, Twin Hex, Cassandrith, Jed the Homerid, Raven Dragon, Esrit0215, Sunblaze, Worked on Sun, and Yistout. Thank you all so much. Yeah, wow. Wow. For the live show, Hats finally thanks our patrons. Yeah, well, they're right here. <laughs> <laughs> A lot of them are right here. <laughs> So, um, a couple other announcements is we finished our February Discord tournament. I won. Um, and I think uh, Jed, I, he hasn't mentioned it yet, but I'm pretty sure Jed's going to do a March one. So if you are interested in joining a round robin tournament, we do host monthly tournaments on our Discord. Usually some kind of limited theme. This last one was a, a peasant cube that uh, Jedi had made that we all drafted and played against each other. And uh, I, we haven't quite decided what we're doing with the March Discord tournament, but please look forward to that. And um, you can test that, check that out in the tournament discussion channel on the Discord. Then uh, also speaking of Jed, he, um, he posted some results for his community rating um, survey that he did. And you can find that on a post on Reddit um, some pretty interesting things. You can kind of see where people are on all the cards. And then finally, Cassandrith released a draft primer today, which you can also find on Reddit, kind of going over his thoughts on the draft format. Um, so yeah, that'll be good. Please check that out and uh, thumbs up it or whatever. God. Okay. Yeah, whatever, whatever, whatever you whatever do. I don't know what, whatever do. people do when they're excited about content. Yeah. Eternal needs as much a content that it can it can get. So I'm glad people like Cassandra and Jed are taking the time to do all of this stuff. Yeah. Yeah, both of those are really good contributions. Uh, Cassandra's Draft Primer doesn't uh, do ratings of individual cards. It says explicitly at the beginning that that's not his focus, but it gets into the different archetypes and like what you should be looking for in this specific format if you don't have that much experience with it. Um, and the results of the community poll are really interesting. Uh, there's not a lot that I would disagree with. I think the community kind of has a grasp as a whole on the, on the format. Um, but it's nice to see, it's just sort of nice to see that. It's nice to see what other people think, uh, what, how people are rating these cards. Um, see if you're, see if you're in an acceptable part of the curve of the hive mind. That's a positive note to end that on. <laughs> hive mind. Yes. <laughs> Great. All right. Shall we move to card of the week? Let's do. Card of the week. I guess this won't be a surprise. You can see both of them, but we'll discuss them one at a time. Uh, my card of the week is Shard Binder. Well, they uh, won't see them until you scroll down. I did it. I scrolled down. There's oh, a little did. delay. There's a delay on the stream. Oh, my gosh. Okay. <laughs> it's going great. <laughs> All um, right. If you thought that door slam was bad... Um, my wife was watching Netflix next to us last episode. 
drunk. And so she just kept laughing in the middle of sentences. That I had to, that I had to keep I had to cut out whole whole sentences because she would laugh in the middle of it and we wouldn't repeat ourselves. How disjointed did some of uh, the discussions end up? No, I actually think it was pretty I think it was pretty good. There was like a there was a couple if you if you're a dedicated listener and want to go back, you can definitely hear her in the background a few times. But lore. More lore. More lore. <laughs> All right. Shardbinder. Uh, Shardbinder is a uh, is a unit. It is uh, it costs two and one time influence. It's a three one unit with overwhelm, and it says the first relic ability you spellcraft or activate each turn costs three less. Uh, it's also an uncommon. I think it's one of the most interesting cards in the format. I, I like taking it fairly early, especially because I know that it's pretty easy to come up with playable relics in this format. But it does work with only a small number of cards. And uh, and so it's a little bit of a speculative pick, even in a format with so many relics, because it doesn't work with static relics, such as Tainted Mark or Kodash Sees All, that kind of thing. It only works with a few specific things, but it makes them so much better. Uh, there's, uh, let's see, there's, uh, um, the, uh, Waystone Gate, uh, which is the, uh, the three-cost relic, and if you spend three power on, each time you spend three power on it, you get to fetch a sigil from your deck, and if you do that three times, then it brings an 8-8 into play, that means you can, with, uh, Shard Finder on the table, you can activate it for free, uh, once each turn, and... If you uh, play this on two and then you play the gate on three, you get a free activation off of it. That's pretty great. Um, your your plate mail, which is a five cost three three relic weapon uh, that has a spellcraft on it for two that lets you cast inspire. That is uh, draws you a card and gives plus one plus one to the next unit or relic on, uh, or, or weapon rather on top of your deck. Uh, you get to activate that for free. That's huge. Turning that card into something that draws a card for just five power is amazing. Um, and in that great, uh, fun clock, uh, clockwork, clockroach deck that I had earlier uh, this week, yesterday, um, I had uh, I had the I don't remember the name of it, but the relic it costs two to come Storm into play. Talisman. All it does is scout. What's that? Storm Talisman. Storm Talisman. I had a Storm Talisman, and that costs eight to do two damage to any target. But with Shardbinder, Shardbinder on the table, it only costs five, and suddenly that's a that's a really good card. <laughs> um, and I had two Shardbinders in that deck, and it was one of the things that made it both fun and powerful because Shardbinder has so few cards that it interacts with, but it interacts with them so well. So it's kind of an example of what we were talking about last week, where the way to make decks like that work is to have the basic uh, pieces of it be good on their own like a three one with overwhelm for two already playable you'd already be looking at that and like saying that's eh, probably one of my best two drops um but in this case it's uh it's a it's a three one with overwhelm for two that also just happens to make a handful maybe three or four cards in your whole deck but it makes them bonkers which is great that's a really cool card and it it, it feels like a build around card where you don't have to warp your deck around it it's just a good card to pick up early in the draft, or an amazing card to pick up later if you already have those cards that work with it. So it's the kind of card I want to see more of uh, in in draft 
in in the future. I don't think it's I don't know if it's going to be a constructed card or not, but I love having cards like this in draft. Uh, that's beside the point that time is already a little bit overpowered in draft, and it's by far the best faction. I would like to see cards like this in other factions <laughs> and <laughs> balance things out. But of course, this is one of the strongest uncommons, and it's in time because there was not enough thought yeah. put into balancing the five factions in this draft format. Yeah, because from that, Gate I love wasn't, it. wasn't good enough on its own. Because what wasn't? Waystone Gate wasn't good yeah. enough on its own. Wasn't good enough, needs to be better. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so uh, my card of the week this week, thank you for asking, is... Ah, <laughs> <laughs> oh, the snark. Is Willbreaker, which is the two justice one two. So this is a card that was recently buffed, I guess today. Yeah. Um, it has double damage and summon play a minus one attack curse on each enemy unit with flying and it has corrupted three. So this is a card that I think in particular the two of us have not been particularly high on and the feeling I get is, <laughs> sorry, I, I, I saw you looking at chat, so I had to. I was forced to. Uh-huh. Um, yeah. I'm very distracting. Yeah. The, <laughs> I don't even remember what I was saying. Uh, we Neither one of us has been very high on Willbreaker. Yeah, neither of us have been very high on Willbreaker, and I feel like the community at large is higher on it. And even with these buffs i feel like in in some draft chats and stuff i've been saying people think that this is going to be a very good card now that it's a one two and i'm still not super excited on this card and i feel like maybe i'm just being contrarian because since it does have double damage it's sort of at its worst a two power two two with uh some incidental benefits if your opponent happens to be playing flyers but uh am i do you think this card has gotten significantly better has it has obviously gotten better yeah yeah i think it's gotten a little better with the extra health i think the biggest difference that it makes is that the the corrupted unit gets to stick around for one more turn Mm -hmm. uh or the shade after it dies the first time uh because before it would just disappear right away and then maybe your opponent doesn't have any flyers in play and you still the corrupted it cost is three on the thing so like that's a pretty significant chunk of your power for the turn uh so now you have a second chance and so like after this thing dies then your opponent has to think real hard about whether they want to play more flyers uh, and and get them potentially cursed by the shade from the willbreaker i think that's the biggest difference i don't like this card because it has double damage in a format where weapons and combat tricks are much more rare than they have been like if you put a weapon on this thing like a crown watch longsword or something then it's a three three with double damage but it's really hard to come across weapons in this format. So the double damage doesn't mean as much. It's just sort of a two one right now. And now it'll be, uh, or it was until the update today. And now it's going to be more like a two, two. And there's not that many ways to take advantage of the double damage. You can put a siege provisions on it, I guess. And then it attacks for six, but it's still not that hard to block. You know, there's, it's not, it's not that easy to take advantage of the ability. So it just sort of, it's it's kind of conditional removal, and it's not even that strong. The air units can usually still attack. So 
yeah, I'm not that uh, enthusiastic about it, but I'll play it, especially if I don't have that much other flying defense, or if I somehow do end up with a lot of combat tricks, because it can suddenly do like 10 damage out of nowhere if you put a wind conjuring on it, but um, I don't value it that highly. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm kind of in the same place. It's It's not... I would definitely not call it a pull into justice for me. It's not a card. It's like a card I'm happy, fine to pick up, but it's not a card I'm actively trying to pick up. So I just kind of wanted to get our opinions out on that uh, just because, you know, this card was sort of in these, in these draft changes, this was kind of the main draft focus card that got changed. Yeah. I don't think there's anything else significant that, uh, that got changed. Uh, I, like none of the commons or uncommons really everything else was rare or it, part of other sets entirely yeah yeah all right so on to seven win run breakdown this is where we talk about the seven win decks that our listeners or people in the general community send in to us and we we uh what do we do we put them all in a spreadsheet and see i'm trying to improv here this is this is what you happens. Don't have, when... You don't have you do you not have the, the show notes open on your end? I do, but I just didn't I just didn't want to think people have people think I was a robot. No, I don't worry. You're exactly as much a of a robot bit. as you always are. It's it's fine. You are no more or less a robot. Anyway. Anyway, so we do we collect seven win drafts from people in the community and listeners. We collect Put them in a spreadsheet so we can do some analysis of them, figure out what factions are doing well. We'll eventually get our card-by-card card spreadsheet going, and then we'll know what cards are doing well in this particular format. And part of uh, the benefits of that are I read the names of everyone who sends in a deck list. So, as always, a thank you to John Holio for actually doing all the work and entering all the lists. Thank and you, then, Holio. yeah, and me for reading all of the names. Thank you. So our new contributors this week are Commander Salamander, David R., and Troy M., as well as our veteran contributors, Abednego, Aboss, Apricot Knight, Avgots, Ben Gracier, Celtic Guardian 7, Collector, Comet, Dubes, LEV, Fang Warb, FS Forward Sound, Gatasujo, Gothic Mike, Grandar, Grandmasterson, Hats on Lamps, Hot Nickelball, Iris M., Jedi EJ, John Holio, Cassandrith, Kidwit 1490, King Neb, Mancio 1982, Mercurio Blue, Old Rich, Out on a Limb, Parmalee, Raven Dragon, Rofer, Slamgo, SSJ 1997, Starstorm, Sunblaze, Titus and Blossom, Twin Hex, Vader, and Work Done Sun. Thank you again for taking the time to send us those lists. And um, yeah, so uh, the thing I wanted to mention this week is just. It's more of the same. So we got about 60 lists this week, and time is still in 80% of the decks. So yeah. it's it's share of decks. Uh, Patomaru on the back. Great job. <laughs> yeah. Patomaru on the back. Have a Patomaru. Oh, I get it. I get it. I... Have a Patomaru on the back. <laughs> Thank you, John. <laughs> yeah, so the, yeah, so what's interesting is I kind of just assume because time had about 80%, we're in about 80% of the decks last week, that it had to go down as our sample size went up. 
but it actually went slightly up. Yeah. So now it's even closer to actual 80%. Um, the only other big changes are Shadow has started to fall behind, kind of like what we predicted where Shadow does seem to be one of the weaker factions. So Primal Fire and Justice are all a little bit above 40% of the decks, and Shadow is now about 35% of all the decks. Um, <clears throat> the other thing is... The number of four-color decks that we're receiving has gone up slightly, too. So Okay, that's good. People are now having a little bit more success with four-color decks. And we're getting fewer straight two-color decks. That's interesting. Yeah. Yeah, yeah I haven't personally uh, even tried to do much more with four-color or five-color. I'm pretty comfortable in the three-color lane for now. Uh, and occasionally in two color with a splash or, or whatever. Um, but it seems like four color should work if you can balance out um, all of your needs for fixing with the powerful cards that you are presumably splashing to play. Yeah. And I mean, you mentioned this on stream yesterday. You're not particularly high with these, like, uh, on these, like, six stranger, two drop stra fixing stranger decks. You know, yeah, um, yeah, not in general. I, I like they do their job, they create influence, uh, that presumably is going to be used to play powerful cards, but they themselves are not powerful cards. The two, mm -hmm. two strangers, you are constantly running a risk of top decking cards that do almost nothing. Like the, the, like the two, two strangers are pretty good on turn two, but terrible later. Um, unless you still need the influence that they would provide, in which case you'd rather draw a sigil usually. Um, it's, that's the thing about, uh, about those cards. They have an almost hypnotic effect uh, where they feel very powerful when people are drafting them, um, but the actual effect on your deck is that you are playing one of them as your two-drop instead of playing a sigil or some more powerful two-drop. And if you end up with a lot of 2-2s two for 2 in your deck, they get outclassed by the very first Gravewatch Ancestor that somebody plays. Like, all yeah. of your 2 drops are now shut down forever. And uh, by a 2-3. And that means that you're running that risk all the time if you fill your 2-drop uh, slot with them. And here's an observation that I've been making lately, is that you don't need a lot of 2-drops anymore. You did in the last format because there were so many aggressive decks. You really needed 2-drops in order to counter early aggression. This is not a fast format. It's really hard to draft aggro. It's possible, but difficult. So you don't need to be playing as many two drops. Your your uh, your three drop column can be a lot taller in this mm -hmm. format, and without sacrificing your deck's power. I've been playing lower unit counts total in this format and doing fine. Um, and it's partly because there's so much removal for small units and partly because it's so much harder to get a really aggressive deck going. The cards just aren't there for it. So, yeah, I'm not high on the Strangers, but if you do have those really powerful, splashable cards, then, yeah, pick up whatever fixing you need in order to be able to play them consistently. But I would take Banners and definitely Seats over the Strangers most of the time, unless I had some other Stranger synergy that I wanted to take advantage of, because there are those rare Strangers that really make it worth it to play some extra Strangers in your deck. Right. Yeah, the, a couple, I don't know if they're counterpoints exactly, but one is it all, it sort of feels like there aren't that many good two drops in the format, though. 
Yeah, you know, that's like true. Magnificent Stranger is like the main two three that I can think of. I'm sure there's probably others, but like the two two strangers end up doing pretty fine in this format. They're not that outclassed. Uh, no, they're not outclassed by other two drops, but yeah. they are outclassed by three drops. Like they're rendered blank by uh, a two three for three, and there's plenty of those. There are. So, uh, so that's the issue. It's not so much that they don't compete with other two drops very, very well, although they don't compete with Magnificent Stranger very well. Um, and then uh, something like Book Club Yeti trades for other two twos, but obviously has a lot more value later in the game. Um, and uh, uh, let's see. Um, but uh, it's just that, like, uh, what I'm, I kind of lost my train of thought there. <laughs> I kind of lost my train of thought because of chat. Hi, Strax. <laughs> We're recording a show. <laughs> I can't help but say hello to people if they say hello to me directly. <laughs> yeah, no, um, that's okay. Uh, all of this gets edited out. Uh, what was I <laughs> so saying? Easy yeah, for uh, you to say. <laughs> it's easy. For, it's easy for me to say because I don't have to do it <laughs> at um, all. <laughs> yeah. The other thing I, I kind of. I've had a slightly different experience with this idea that you don't need two drops. Maybe I'm just not loading up on three drops quite enough. <laughs> um, but I have found that most opponents do play two drops and games can snowball out of control if you don't have early ways to interact. And so just having sort of your own strangers to interact with them has been has led to more success for me it's like when i really have these games where i don't have anything to do to like turn four or whatever i've been losing a lot of those games that's fair i think that'll happen um i mean there is definitely some value in having strangers to take advantage of your opponent's strangers, and you do want early game interaction for sure. I wouldn't say don't play two drops and then also don't play early game interaction. I think right. play, you know, your seers and your purifies uh, and that kind of thing. Like uh, get your fury blades and your your talons and like all of that sheep like ways of staying on the board so you don't get run over because that will happen because people are playing a bunch of two twos for two uh in their decks i just don't think it needs to be as much of a priority as it was in the last format where you would play like eight two drops comfortably because you didn't want to get uh like smashed <laughs> by like by by uh you know teething whelps and uh intrepid longhorns etc right no, that, I mean, that's true. Though, yeah, I will say I have been having luck with these, like, weird sort of stranger aggro decks. They're not, like, aggro decks in the same way, like the Rakano aggro, Rakano Onis, or even the Praxis decks from the last format were. But just in a deck that can keep pressure on the opponent, um, I don't know. I've been having success with that. That's fair. 
Yeah, I haven't had as much success with it myself, but I have had some pretty good tempo openings. Uh, like, I did have a, a pretty aggressive, like, Rakano Oni kind of a thing going on once, and that was good. It is possible to, to put on early pressure. Uh, again, it's like a matter of degrees, right? Like, I just feel like it's a slower format than the last one, and that's and that's the difference. So I haven't been putting as much pressure on myself to have, like, a ton of two-drops. Yeah. Uh, I think there's a variety of successful approaches to this format, though. Just mine is mine happens to be working for me. We can move on to our main topic if you'd like. Okay, that sounds great. Uh, find my water quickly. Okay, got my water back. Oh shoot! Here on the fly, editing of the show notes, drafting sacrifice decks. There you go. See the editing of the show notes happen in real time. Oh, whoops, I just I just delete that whole line, in fact. Cool, cool. <laughs> okay, so on to our next segment, our main topic. So this week, sort of as a continuation of last week's theme where we talked about the Time Justice Primal Relic decks, I wanted to talk about uh, drafting FTS Sacrifice. These, I've, been, I've drafted a few of these decks recently, and have not had as much success. So I was kind of wanted to go through and figure out why, and maybe we could come up with a sort of what this color, this tri-faction um, is trying to do. Let's call it destruction. I kind of like the one word, uh, like the one word summation of three color, of three faction combinations, because they're very convenient and they're right there lying on the ground for us to pick up. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it's never going to happen, but I... Okay, fair enough. I'll call it destruction. (laughs) (laughs) You can call it whatever you want. Whatever combination of nine or ten words is convenient for you. No, FTS. (laughs) (laughs) All right, uh, please, but please continue. We are on the same page. I don't know. Drafting destruction sacrifice sounds like... Okay, okay. You like that better. I like it okay. It's not ideal. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, so I think one of the things that we've we've kind of talked about a few times is um, is these synergies that are support that have been previously supported, and so therefore can appear in the draft packs usually work a lot better. And so examples of these are like the relic deck from last week. You know, so we've had previous relics, we've had previous relic matter cards, and so they could fill the draft packs with those. So you have four packs to sort of all get cards around the same theme. And then cards that, you know, synergies that are not like this were in like the previous format Decimate, where there was only Decimate cards in Flames of Zalta. So you could only really see the Decimate cards and Decimate Matter cards in packs one and four. And so it was really hard to make a dedicated Decimate um, deck. So this is kind of one of the main reasons I had high hopes for the Sacrifice deck because um, I'll let my wife pass really quick. Okay, cool. You left the lot. This is an important part of the show. <laughs> the show that we're broadcasting live. Hi. Is it live? It is live. No, yeah. It's live. Sorry. Cool. <laughs> That's all right. Our instant pot's still on. Okay. 
I, I made curry. We we bought a new instant pot, um, like a oh. pressure cooker. And I made, I yeah, made curry. Cool. I, that's a, that's pretty sweet, actually. Yeah, it's exciting. Anyway, it's still on. So if everyone could remind me the end of the show to before I go to bed to turn off the instant pot, that'd be great. Hear that, chat? Make sure that uh, you remind uh, Potomara to turn off Instant Pot at the end of all this. It's his safety is in your hands. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> My house burns down. I am going to let you guys have it. <laughs> anyway, okay. So what was I talking about? I was talking about how I was feeling positive about these this this theme for what is it? Destruction. Yeah, destruction. Yeah, yeah, because like, uh, like a, a display of destruction. No, I I understand where you got. I just there's yeah. a lot of there's a lot of different displays to remember our themes. Yeah, I, I was feeling positive about the <laughs> the the theme that they were trying to support for destruction. These sacrifice decks, because this is a theme that has been supported. You know, it was well. You know, there were a lot of sort of sacrifice cards in set seven. There are a lot of set seven cards in the draft packs so this has kind of been a line of, of the a style of deck that has interested me and it's just kind of fun to like the idea of sacrificing units and getting value out of that um so sort of in the the same style of last week's episode so to talk about the draft packs you know the um the sacrifice enablers of the draft packs, the main ones are like Soul's Fury, Ravenous Thornbeast, Marsh Dragon, Combust, Nahid's Faithful, Sadistic Ritualist. Yep. So I think there's like a lot of good ways to sacrifice cards. And I think they're all pretty good cards. And then the um, returning sort of payoffs or, or cards that are good to sacrifice theoretically. Um, there's Syndromot, there's a couple different styles. There's like some with an intome value, like Syndromotoda, Ticking Grenadin, Slumbering Stone. There's the four cost Grenadin, the two two that when you sacrifice it plays two one one Grenadins. Um, then there's the play multiple units style. That's like proselytize the three time play two one one cultists decimate to draw two one one cultists there's nahid's choice which allows you to play two one one cultists for two xenon um there are also exalted units um are making a comeback and also appear in set eight and so those are good cards because you could sacrifice them but get a little extra value out of them as you move that weapon around um so these are all i think pretty good cards and i makes one imagine that you can make a pretty good sacrifice you know that they're the yeah, theme these, is are all, these are all these are all solid top. cards yeah these are the cards that you want to see if you're making a deck like this i mean ticking grenadin is nothing special but uh in general yes yeah no definitely not i you know i dug a little deep yeah you did uh, you want then, this to work <laughs> then uh what's been added in this new set are Cards that sacrifice, there's Kindling Carver, which is a great way to sacrifice because it's a free way to sack. It draws you a card for the turn. There's Urgent Missive, Contaminating Ritual, Display of Destruction, and Awakened Gorger are sort of the main ones at Common and Uncommon. And then at higher rarities, there's Flame Bath Reformation, which is 
the three, I think it's a three shadow relic that allows you to give a unit exalted and sacrifice it at the end of the turn. I think uh, it might actually do it immediately and not even at the end of the turn. Oh yeah, probably that makes sense. Yeah, I think it's actually a pretty powerful card, but obviously it eats up units real fast. Yeah, maybe I'll look this up. I'll look, I'll, I'll this look up. it up. There we, there we go. Flame bathe, flame bathe reformation. Yeah, it happens immediately. Once per turn, you can pay two to give one of your units exalted, then sacrifice it. If you've got some units with interesting battle abilities, um, this can get out of control really quickly. Yes. Uh, another one of the higher rarity ways to sacrifice is also Strange Burglar, which is the Stone Scar Burglar. It's a four power Stone Scar 5 4. When you play a stranger, give all your units plus one attack for the turn, and then you may pay two and exhaust Strange Burglar to sacrifice a unit, draw three cards, and take three damage. Which is a great way to, you know, it allows you to sack units and draw a lot of cards. Hurts you, so it's you can't probably use this ability too much without some sort of lifesteal or whatever. Um, and then the cards that care about sacrificing in this format, the, there's a couple interesting ones, because these are really the first cards that actually care about sacrifice happening on board as compared to like the Syndromaw Toyota, which just likes to be sacrificed. There's the Sunset Enforcer, which is the six time time five five, where when a unit sacrifice, it gains plus two plus two, and it also has pledge. And then there's Mysterious Waystone, which is the five shadow shadow relic, which um, deals one damage, uh, which deals one damage to the accursed relic, and it deals one damage to the opponent, and you gain one life at the end of their turn, and you raise that number by one every time you sacrifice a unit. And then you have a couple token makers in this format. Though there's not a ton, which I think is one of the problems. There's Humbug Swarm, which is the three-time-time fast spell to play two 1-1 flying Humbugs. There's Fanatical Stranger, which allows you to create 1-1 cultists when you attack with strangers. There's also the Display of Destruction, which allows you to play three exhausted 1-1 strangers. Mm -hmm. um, and then... There's some really good higher rarity payoffs, mainly Shrine to Carve It. It's just a rare, right? It's yes, Shrine to Carve It crazy. is a rare, and it is a three stone scar relic. And it says, when you sacrifice a unit this turn, give all your units plus two attack and life steal and charge. Um, and then there's two legendaries. Uh, Dova the Fearmonger, which is the Destruction's um, legendary. So it's five time time shadow shadow fire fire and a five five with pledge. And then it says what? Uh, we should probably put a uh, pause this for a moment because we have been raided by Cassandra's stream with nearly 200 people. Uh, and I would like to explain to them what is going on. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Hey, welcome, everyone.
I, and people wonder why it takes me so long to release our episodes. It's because I do this. It's because <laughs> I cannot. I, I explain things that everyone knows at late. <laughs> that's that's the problem. <laughs> All right, we're so so here we are in Google Docs. You can see here our show notes uh, about where our oh oh you've kept it bookmarked we're right be, right before Dova the Fearmonger, uh, and I'll be doing my best. To uh, to demonstrate the cards that we're talking about visually, is, the, is <laughs> to that too much? Scroll down the Google Doc as we talk. <laughs> that's what I'm going to do. That's 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 going to be the visual. It's going to be very exciting. It's going to be awesome. <laughs> <laughs> the smooth scrolling on this stream is. <laughs> this is, it's, it's it's just there's just a slight delay. <laughs> yeah. All right. Uh, looks like everything is in a good uh, is in a good spot here. I'm I'm liking it. Let's do it. Uh, let's get back to it. So we're talking about the sacrifice deck, the time shadow fire sacrifice deck. What's available for it, and why it's not living up to expectations? Don't you mean destruction? Destruction. The destruction deck. The destruction sacrifice deck. Back back to you, Padmaru. <laughs> so. How I sort of wanted to go about talking about the Destruction Sacrifice deck is I, is starting with what I think are the problems with this archetype, because as I kind of mentioned at the beginning, this is an ar archetype that I have not had a ton of success with. Neither and, have I. Yeah. And so I was kind of trying to figure out why that is, because like we said, it's an archetype that is supported both in the draft packs and in the new set. But when I was making the list of cards that were included in the new set that are good to sacrifice, good at sacrificing or being sacrificed, it kind of made me think that maybe it's actually, oddly enough, under-supported in set eight packs. The only real commons in our list that care about sacrifice, for example, are Sunset Enforcer, which is like the main sort of, I think, build around like, oh, yes, please, when you sacrifice other creatures, I get bigger. But I don't actually think Sunset Enforcer is a very good card. It's not that big for its initial cost. It's six time time for a 5-5. Five five, so it's slightly hard to cost or hard to play, especially, um, you know, as a double influence in a format where you're often playing three or four colors. And it doesn't have evasion, which I think is not great for your finisher plan. Then the other thing is there's not a lot of cards that make other cards in set eight. You know, there's like, there's the display, which makes three one ones, um, which is probably the best. There's urgent missive, which requires you to sacrifice to make two one ones. There is. Um, there's the Fanatical Stranger, which is the Shadow Common Stranger, the three Shadow 3-1 three that when a stranger attacks plays a 1-1. One, one. But I've had problems with this card. The hard, this card only has one toughness, so it is often very hard to attack to get a 1-1 one, one without the stranger dying. So you're not actually really going up a That's card. Yeah, that's true. You pretty much have to play a, a two-cost stranger on two and then follow up 
with the three one on the next turn and immediately attack with the first stranger and then all you get out of that entire thing is a one one token yes and and then also the cards that do sacrifice like we talked about urgent missive not a great card at common contaminating ritual also is a very sort of niche card that's the one that gives a unit flying and lifesteal and then, and then sacrifices it at the end of the turn. It's not even really part of the sacrifice deck particularly, is it? Because it's not you don't it's not a payoff for having tokens, and it's not like no. it doesn't create a unit. So it doesn't even contribute to this whole plan. It's yes, it's very weird. You know, I think they added this one as like it can kind of go into multiple archetypes, but like it triggers your you know, it triggers your Sunset Priest or Sunset Enforcer. It triggers your Mysterious Waste Stone. It works well with Exalted. So those are all three cards slash style of cards that you kind of want in a Sacrifice deck. So it kind of fits in that, but not cleanly. No. No, there, it's not as clean as it was even in the last format where you had cards that specifically created tokens, then you had cards that specifically ate tokens, and it felt good putting them together. It doesn't feel clean that way, because one of the only cards in Shadow that creates tokens is Urgent Missive, which requires you to get rid of another thing, and it feels weird putting it in your deck at all. Next is, with when you're sacrificing, you are creating card disadvantage if you're just sacrificing a unit. So, like, how do you... How do you get around that card disadvantage or make use of it. You know, like what we're talking about is if you have a card that makes multiple units, then you're not really using a card when you sacrifice. Um, so that's one way. There's cards like Kindling Carver in the new set, which is, I think, especially, I mean, in Constructed, it's been doing very great. But I found this a lot harder to use in draft because theoretically, when you sacrifice something, you get to draw a card, play it, so you're not actually going down a card. But at the same time, one of the problems I've been having with Kindling Carver is trying to figure out what you actually want to sack with it. Because, like, sacking a stranger doesn't always feel... You're not necessarily replacing that with, like, a good no, card. No, it's totally, it's totally random what reward you get with Kindling Carver. You're drawing a card, but you don't know what it is. And also, the problem with Kindling Carver is that... Um, uh, I don't know. I mean, that's the problem with it, is that it is random, and uh, you can't plan your turns... Uh, you can't plan ahead on your turn effectively. If you're playing the Constructed deck that plays four Kindling Carvers, then you... Like there's a really narrow range of things that you can possibly draw off off of it. I've played quite a bit with a Kindling Carver deck, and so you know that you more or less always want a Kindling Carver. You know, you don't play your sigil uh, at first in case you draw a sigil, and then you can play it. Like you can really sort of plan your turn ahead because you know more or less how it's going to go. In draft, you have no idea what's going to happen. Maybe you draw removal that you don't actually need. Maybe because you're playing a sacrifice deck, you you draw something like a Soul's Fury, but you don't want to sacrifice another unit. So that's a dead draw. You know, like there's a lot that can go wrong. Yes. Exactly. And like, you know, and then the other way to make up with this sacrifice, this card disadvantage is, yeah, uh, I'll skip that. I'll. Okay. <laughs> this is cool. 
I I cut out a lot of what I say when when I'm editing these podcasts. Yeah. Um. <laughs> Again, we signed. That's what we signed up for. Yeah. <laughs> we just we just babble, and then you have to wrangle with the huge behemoth of a sound file that we create. That's the deal, right? <laughs> right. And so the other way to make up with this this card disadvantage is if you have other cards that are benefiting from all the sacrifice you're doing. And we've mentioned a couple of those, like the Sunset Enforcer, um, as well as the um, the Mysterious Waystone and the um, and Shrine to Carve It. And I just wanted to t- talk a little bit more about uh, Sunset Enforcer, which is, I think, maybe one of the big problems for me for this sacrifice deck, at least making it a hard deck to draft because Sunset Enforcer of all the cards that care about sacrifice is the only common. Um, we'll talk a little bit later because I do think like Mysterious Waystone and Shrine to Carve It are cards that if you do manage to get can make a very good sacrifice deck because you're actually, you know, because those are plans to win the game while this Sunset Re- um, Enforcer I think doesn't work quite as well in that role. Yeah, it doesn't really finish the game on its own, does it? No, and the main reason is because <clears throat> it does not have any evasion. So <clears throat> what I've found to be like a common play pattern in these sacrifice decks is you're growing your Sunset Enforcer, you're sacrificing all of your units, and then they're able to chump block your one big unit, which is all you have left, really, and then they're able to crack back and kill you either that turn or slow or, or slowly afterwards, because the whole point of your game plan is to get rid of your own board. And so. <clears throat> so unlike, unlike say a marsh dragon, which will gain you a bunch of life and then create a blocker that can get in the way of anything. That was a much better stabilizing effect than sunset enforcer is. Yes. And in this format, and I think this is like an unfortunate part for this deck, is a lot of the ways to grant evasion, and I use evasion very loosely, um, is injustice. You know, like Justice's Dive Bomb, which goes great if you could make a giant um, Sunset Enforcer because you can attack in and deal them lethal by giving it flying. There's also Siege Provisions, which gives Endurance, which makes your big guys a lot better. Um, you know, that's one of the great parts, I think, a way to make Waystone Gate even better is when you play your 8-8 off of Waystone Gate is to also have a Siege Provisions in your Relic deck, and then you can attack in with your 8-8, which is now a 10-10 Endurance every turn, and still have it stay back to block. And so even though you're spending a lot of time getting your Waystone Gate online, you then have, <clears throat> you can then use that 8-8 sort of def- you know, in a lot of modes. And and so the, I think Justice really helps, you know, helps that deck in a sense. Yeah, and for you, sure. You don't really have that with the Sacrifice deck. No, you have to put that fourth color in there. Um, you could uh, you could try to put the sack, to get, uh, the sack deck together without the normal three colors. You can, uh, you know, if you, if you leave out Shadow or or fire, um, then you can play with justice and get the benefits of that uh, if you mm-hmm. don't want to play four colors. Um, and I think that's probably a, a viable strategy, but it's not necessarily 
uh, in that case supported. I guess that ends up in uh, fire, time, and justice, though. So you might have, uh, you know, your usual creation deck, some relic weapon synergy, but also a sacrifice sub theme, and then you can uh, they you can take advantage of some of the of the sacrifice stuff um, in those colors. But you would be missing out on shadow. It's not easy. Like the you'd think you would think that the best sacrifice decks wouldn't have to have justice, but yeah, it is kind of one of the big missing pieces. Yeah. And then to continue on this uh, theme is some of the cards that seem like obvious good targets to be sacrificed, like Syndrome Toda and a lot of the Exalted units, are, <clears throat> are pretty expensive. And so they don't necessarily s slot... I mean, they slot into the deck, but... The problem is if you're spending a lot of power to play a unit and then you're sacrificing it and taking it off the board, um, if people are playing a lot of 2-2 two -two strangers and killing you, you don't actually have enough time or life to get your like cute little engine online. And that is another way I've been losing. Like recently I had a, a deck, I actually drafted three Kindling Carvers and three Cindermatoda and three rectifiers and two sunset enforcers. <laughs> that seems like it should work. <laughs> it seemed like it should work. I actually ended up cutting down to just two kindling carvers because, like in my first game, I drew three kindling carvers in a row, and it. Uh, and then I was just sacking my kindling carvers to draw uh -huh. cards, um, which seemed a little silly. No, we didn't sign up for this. But, but one of the problems was. I was like doing all of this cute stuff and then just dying as my opponent attacked me because I, I had, you know, three cinder dragons in my hand and was dead before I could play them and stabilize. I think that's the what I encounter the most when I try to draft the sack deck is um, that I end up spinning my wheels and doing a lot of things that seem like it's working, but not actually getting any closer to winning the game. And uh, that's why I kind of stopped drafting it after trying it three or four times near the beginning of the format, because I, I thought it would work too. And uh, that's, what, that's what ended up happening a lot. I would just draw a lot of cards, but all of my cards would be these little dirtily <laughs> things that drew more cards or, or were designed to die themselves. And like there was never any payoff. Uh, I think the the key to drafting a good deck like this is to have cards that have nothing to do with the theme and all of that drawing and sacrificing and all of that sort of value that you're generating has to get you two cards that actually win games. And Sunset yes. Enforcer should be that card, but it's not. It's not good enough, and so you have to find something else. Yes, I agree. Though that kind of leads into another problem I've been having because a lot of my fire time shadow um, decks, these sack decks, have had these like we've been talking about these pocket of synergies where I had these like this like sack package, but then because fire time and shadow have such good strangers, I often had these good stranger packages where I had a lot of fixing strangers, and then two of Two of the, my decks just happen to have the Battle-Tested Stranger, which is the five-time 2-2 two -two Stranger that gives all your other Strangers plus two, plus two. For sure. And, you know, and then you can have um, the 
the burglar stranger, the stone scar stranger. So there's just like a lot of good strangers in these color in these factions. But then what happens is all of your strangers get buffed and then you play your kindling carver and you're like, well, I don't actually want to, I don't want to like do my yeah. plan. I don't want to sacrifice any of these strangers. Yeah. The plans, so then you, it's they, like, the plants don't go together. Yeah. Half your deck becomes useless because, you know, and so it's like these, what ends up happening is I have these, like, it ends up becoming like two disparate decks that are fighting with each other. It's, because when I'm drafting it, I'm like, oh, who cares if I sacrifice my two two strangers? But then you end up building. There's so many strangers in the format. You end up those strangers get better, and they no longer become, you know, good sacrifice targets. Yeah, uh, it's I, you know how we were talking last week about having little pockets of synergy, mm-hmm. um, and uh, I think this is one of those cases where the where the sack theme is so parasitic of any other theme you happen to be trying to make happen because it 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 feeds on units and you need those units to be disposable that it doesn't really play well with others and that's another problem. Like if we want to start thinking of uh, drafts in this format as being full of pockets of synergy and uh like you know like uh like the the your deck is like a an organism and the individual pockets are organs and all of that stuff that i babbled about last week <laughs> if you look at that then uh you know the sack deck is 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 like a you know kind of an immune disorder where it is actively fighting with the other pockets of synergy that you have because it can't survive on its own it has to have food um, and if your other synergy relies on having units in play that get to continue to attack, that just doesn't work in the long term. Um, if you, it's one of the few decks that really needs everything to be working and everything to be in the right ratios before it can be self-sustaining. Yes. And, and that worked last format because it was supported better in set seven than in set eight. Yes. Yeah, um, can I uh, can I pause us here because the raffle time is up and we should announce a winner. Okay, that's perfect. Uh, all right, so let's uh, let's pick a winner for our Steam gift card, and I'm trusting in the software that I've installed to do this correctly. <laughs> Agapemu is our winner. <laughs> Agapemu Rigged. is a is a frequent uh, contributor to the chat on my channel. Uh, she's no longer in the chat right now, but I will I will inform her uh, that she won. And I think it would be a good idea to start another raffle now. <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, yeah. <sighs> hmm. <laughs> Don't you personally know a guy? I feel a little embarrassed that I personally know that person. I think it would be wise to pick another person because it would be somebody who actually plays Eternal and Agape Mood doesn't. So we're going to pick another winner. Uh, <laughs> we're just going to do that. It doesn't make any sense. <laughs> All right. Our new winner is King Neb OH. King Neb, you have won a $10 Steam gift card. <laughs> Fantastic. I'm glad it let me pick another winner because this is excellent. Excellent. <laughs> uh, go ahead and. All your listening has paid off. Finally, <laughs> this is the payday. Uh, go ahead and whisper your uh, Steam name to Potamaru or to me. Not uh, to me. So th- not to Potamaru? <laughs> I don't know. I, I don't think know. definitely. Do it, just, to, do it just, to Hats. Just whisper, just whisper it to me. Whisper me uh, uh, your, your, your name in Steam so that we can uh, gift you the Steam uh, gift card. 
uh, in in Steam. I think that's the best way to do it. I don't know how to make it happen automatically. Uh, and let's see. Should we start another? Should we start the second giveaway now? Or yeah, we can do that. Yes, please do it as seductively as makes you comfortable. Um, <laughs> as seductively as makes hats uncomfortable. Actually, that's, that's the it. right level of whispering. <laughs> all right, uh, all right. So, how do we stop with this one? Complete. <laughs> okay, well, you figure that out. I'm gonna get a drink of water since when my wife came through, she stole my water. Also, fantastic. <laughs> All right. Well, that went that went well. It's hilarious that the first uh, that the first winner is one of the only people that I've met in real life that is regularly in my chat. Fantastic. All right. So we're going to start another giveaway. Uh, it's going to have another half an hour time limit. It will be another ten dollars Steam gift card, <laughs> and unfortunately, not a Pepsi Cola delivered to you by a team of hamsters. Uh, maybe in a future broadcast. Okay. All right. We got that all. We got that all going. Let's make sure that uh, robot has it. Robot has it indeed. All right. Everybody that uh, everybody that wants another one of them ten dollars Steam gift cards, enter the raffle with exclamation mark raffle. The way Twitch usually does it. Okay. Let's see if we can get back on track with the old. Uh, that'll keep chat busy for a while. <laughs> let's uh, let's get back on track with our uh, with our discussion guess, here. Yeah. <laughs> We're actually just doing this to distract people from this train wreck that's happening yeah. in front of their eyes. <laughs> this is this is exactly what I hope people came for. <laughs> it was the it was the the podcast minus the slickness of that last editing pass. Uh, I. Let's see. Can I enter the raffle as an additional raffle ticket for another viewer in the channel? I don't think that's possible, and I don't know how to adjust this thing on the fly. Uh, is there any reason why they can't? Okay, fair enough. <laughs> Great. Perfect. All right. Things take care of themselves. Hey, should I join? I can. No. Why would you? Why would you join a raffle for something you're giving away? I don't know. I could, I could raffle. Oh, you could. The, uh... <laughs> you could be the extra person that uh, for for Sizzle's extra thing. <laughs> I see what you're saying. No, that does make it would make sense. But I mean, that you was have how to promise that if you win, if if Potamaru wins. <laughs> <laughs> I'll we're we're picking another winner, obviously. Win what? Someone. I said, if I win, I'll raffle off the gift card that I win. That may... That we're doing that now! <laughs> we're, we're raffling it now! Get on board! <laughs> Honestly, the only reason we're doing a raffle is because it's on a... Force me to finally figure out how to get money out of Patreon instead of just every month giving Patreon a loan. <laughs> <laughs> Hashtag life goals. We're doing it. <laughs> yeah. We're doing it. Um, All right. Want to get back to our content, our valuable, valuable content? Yeah. Yeah. What people, what people came here for, I'm sure. 
Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. So anyway, sort of, I, I don't know if this is the conclusion yet or <laughs> we've gotten off track a couple times, but yeah, but that's also normal for us. Uh, we're discussing, we're discussing it is in some depth. I think we're doing all right. Okay. Uh, one of the, the, the things that I, I wanted to start thinking about when, when drafting these sacrifice decks is that there's sort of two styles of decks. There's the one that we're more used to because it's very similar to this, the set seven. You know, you have cards like Marsh Dragon, Nahid's Faithful, Ravenous Thorn Beasts, which all grow bigger when you sacrifice. So... <laughs> so... <clears throat> They're sort of both the sack outlet and the enabler in one, and or the sack. They're they're the sacrifice. I never know how to say this. They're the sack outlet as well as the beneficiary, sort of in one card. Sure. And I think these decks are sort of more easy to draft. I mean, first off, because like Marsh Dragon and Heat's Faithful both gain you life. So they allow you to stay alive while you're doing all of this dirtling around. Yeah. But also, this format has such powerful dark return style effects. Um, with the new one from set eight, the I forget what it's called. I believe triumphant return. Yeah, triumphant return, which is the three shadow return a unit from your void, or draw a unit from your void, give it plus two, plus two. And then there's also Immortalize, the Exalted one. And so those cards, and as Sizzle likes to mention, he really likes this card, there's Turn Back Time, which is yeah, another I like, one. I like the card, too. I'm a lot higher on that card than I was at the start of the format. Um, it, <clears throat> and so there's another one, you know, so there's three of these cards that, and, yeah, that can return cards from your void. There's also Aramot's Design, which is a, a great, or not, which one? Is that Aramot's Design? Aramot's Machinations. Ma Machinations. Yeah. Yeah. There's also Aramot's Machinations, which returns a one, two, and three drop for five Xenon. So all of them. these cards really make your Nahid's Faithful, your Ravenous Thorn Beasts, your Marsh Dragons a lot more powerful. And and so I think that's like the more obvious way to draft a sacrifice deck. But the one problem is it's also a little bit in contention with these like value sack decks with like Kindling Carver and Strange Burglar because um, those these style sacrifice cards are more about dirtling drawing cards, getting value. And you can only have so many cards that want to sacrifice because you only have so much fodder in this format yeah. that I think you really need to pick a lane um, with what way you're taking your sacrifice deck um, because there's just not enough cards in the format that play multiple units that you can really, that you'll have a full, you, that, that you can have enough fodder to support sort of all the sap cards that exist. 
Yeah, I think that's exactly right. And uh, I think you have more experience trying to get the sacrifice deck to work than I do. And the question that comes up in my mind is always, at what point do you decide that that's a theme worth exploring during the draft? You know, when you decide, hey, I'm seeing enough cards here to actually try to make this work. I'm not going to end up with a bunch of dead, like, Souls Furies and Combusts and things that I don't have the food for. Like, is that, like, from the first pick because you see a card that would go really well in the deck? Or is it like, oh, I've noticed quite a few Nahid's Faithfuls. This is going to work. Well, for me... uh a lot of it has been actually Strange Burglar and Kindling Carver. Those are the main cards that have made me um, end up in sort of in this style of deck. And I think one of my problems is that so sort of what I was just saying is thinking about thinking about it now is there's just so many cards that sacrifice things that you can end up overloaded on that. It's kind of like how you can over overload on triumphant returns or immortalized style you know you can only really play like two or three of them in a deck before you start having too many of them more of them than you have cards to return from your void and i feel like the same thing can happen with this sack deck is you can end up with a deck with 10 ways to sacrifice cards but you're just not going to have enough cards to sacrifice you know that want to be sacrificed and and uh, and particularly in this format, because so many of the cards that that create cards that want to be sacrificed are going to be in packs two and three. So you just aren't sure. And they yes. are. And even the most common commons in this format in packs two and three uh, aren't as common as the cards in in packs one and four. So you just can't count on getting what you need. Yes, I exactly. And and so it's actually kind of making me think that the way to really make this this strategy work is to take a lighter touch where you're you really only have a handful of cards yeah it's just there's there's so many contradictions because i feel like you want a lighter touch with the amount of sacrifice you're doing but you still end up playing not great cards that want to be sacrificed yeah. You know what I mean? And so there's just too many contradictions because you can't go too hard in cards that sacrifice and you need to play enough cards that want to be sacrificed. But then if you're not playing a lot of sacrifice cards, you're not going to be drawing them in the right order or drawing the right ones. And you know, one thing we haven't really touched on here is the presence of corrupted as a keyword in this format because it does give you some cards that want to be sacrificed and also most of the corrupted cards in the format are strong on their own. Yes. Um, so it gives you a little bit of a bridge between the, the kind of the kind of deck that wants just sort of general good cards and uh, the little bit of sacrifice synergy that you might be able to play with. Because I've had Nahid's Faithful and Rectifier in the same deck, and that's amazing. Because all that you need is three power to sacrifice the first Rectifier and silence something else, and you've got this 4-3 with Lifesteal, and your opponent's biggest threat has been neutered. Yes, and I I agree. I think that is another way to take that, and that, that's a a good point to to bring up. Uh, oh, the, the only problem cards... with the the corrupted units is if the sacrifice uh, outlet, such as uh, Marsh Dragon, if I'm using the word outlet correctly, there are expensive, so you don't get to necessarily use the corrupted shade. Uh, no, necessarily get to use the shades ability in the same turn that you eat it, which is really what you want to do most of the time. 
Um, yes. That's the that's why Nahid's Faithful is one of the best cards for this deck, in my opinion, because it only costs one, so you can do a couple of things in a turn. Yes, and and that's another good point about Nahid's Faithful. With its cheap cost, it works great with these Dark Return style effects, too, because you can kind of bring it back and play it on the same turn without, you know, without much of a power commitment as compared to a lot of these other ones. Yeah, power efficiency still still very important. So it sounds like what we're saying is kind of similar to what we were saying last week, where um, rather than go all in on synergy decks, uh, in this format, it's actually better to take a lighter touch, uh, um, play cards that are good at their baseline whenever you can, um, but uh, but play a few uh, play a few cards that uh, have a huge benefit if they happen to line up with the already good cards that you're playing. So you're playing these corrupted units. You're playing things that make tokens, maybe uh, that are good cards on their own. And then you have these uh, these cards that benefit from playing some sacrifice synergy uh, that will sort of push your deck to the next level of strength rather than hoping that the whole thing will revolve around a sacrifice energy uh, uh, will revolve around a sacrifice engine that may not come together because you only have so much control over it in this particular format. You have a lot less control over whether that deck comes together than you did in set seven. All right. So, okay. So then out of podcast mode for a second. Okay. So do, do we want to look at a deck or do you think that was a good spot to, um, I, I mean, let's see. Let's take a look here and see if this is something that, um, I mean, we kind of, uh, like we kind of covered a lot of ground. Uh, what do you think? Yeah, I don't, I don't know. We can, we can move on to the draft. We can move on to the draft for sure. Why don't we open it up to, uh, chat for a minute and see if they have any, uh, anything to contribute to the discussion that we've already had. I noticed yeah. uh, Sizzle Sizzle Steams uh, uh, contributed a few a few relevant uh, a few relevant things. The yeah, here, scroll is... down to the third screenshot because that's actually my do. current deck. So I'm okay. Looking... Yeah, let's take a look at that. Um, Happy to hear. Oh, what that's cool. Sizzle Steam. <laughs> I'm gonna just enlarge this a little bit. Whoop! And that didn't work at all. Uh, let's enlarge it using the corner. I know how to use computers. There it is. Yeah, two rectifiers deck is amazing. Exactly. All right. So uh, this is your current deck. Have you played any games with this deck yet? I think I did play a game. This is not... Uh, this is pre-cuts. Oh, okay. So you probably took out... Um, I guess uh, it would, it's kind of tough to talk about a, 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 full, uh, a full deck... In for the purposes of a podcast, because I would have yes. to describe everything in it. <laughs> I mean, we can talk about this with uh, just folks that are in chat right now, uh, and maybe we don't we don't put this part in the episode. Yeah, let's do yeah, that. Yeah, no, that's cool. All right, so this is a good example of what we're talking about for everyone that wants to talk. Oh, this isn't working at all. I'm just erasing part of it. All right, well, this is the best I can do. Okay, you can. Uh... You can like scroll in, like enlarge in Chrome, so it's like, you know, you can enlarge your Chrome window if you like middle middle right. scroll. Oh, um, Ty try Control Mouse Wheel. Control Mouse Wheel. 
Oh, uh, okay, there we go. I know how to use computers, been using them my whole life. So this seems to be doing completely random things. See, it gets bigger, and then it gets much, much smaller. <laughs> what is happening? <laughs> wow. I don't know what happened. <laughs> this is amazing. Oh, that didn't work at all. Oh, everything has... Go oh, it's the apocalypse. Okay, so these are my three ducks that you can see very smallly. <laughs> wow, I do this. Oh, good. Okay, that's that's a little bigger. That's a little bigger. We're we're coming back to where it was before. Okay. Here There we go. That's about as good as it's going to get, I think. Yeah. Okay, cool. All right, we we we've restored equilibrium. <laughs> Control zero resets at 100%. All right, that's just uh... And then control plus. Okay. Okay, this is much better. Learning and growing together. So here's the deck. This is your current deck. Yeah. This is this is kind of an interesting deck to talk about because I have really high hopes of this because I did manage to draft a shrine to carve it and a mysterious waste stone, which I think makes any sack deck a lot better. Yeah, you really get a payoff that way. For one thing, you can stay alive for a while because it gives you lifesteal capabilities. Exactly. But it does have a lot of the themes that we were talking about. One of them is it it's it has the a lot of sack cards like that that sort of pull you in two different directions. It has I have you know the potential to play three Nahid's Faithfuls. I have a Marsh Dragon. Um so those are all cards that get bigger as you when you sack with them, but I don't have really any ways to bring cards back. I, well, I, that's not true. I guess I have Aramot's Machinations, which kind of makes me want to play the Nahid's Faithful. I have, I actually have two turn back times. I cut one already. Um, don't tell Sizzle that, but I do have the potential okay. to play. Sizzle will never find out. To, to play two turn back times. But then I also have a Kindling Carver a strange burglar and a sadistic ritualist, which are all ways to draw cards off of sacrifice. Um, and then I have a really strong stranger package where I have strange burglar. I have a, a like I mentioned, a battle tested stranger, which keeps happening. Whenever I draft strangers to sacrifice, I get a battle tested stranger. Um, you know, I have two Magnificent Strangers, a Covetous Stranger. I have a Fanatical Stranger, which could theoretically get get one ones in play um, that I can sacrifice later. Um, and then I do have, like, Nahid's Choice and Proselytize, which both produce things to sacrifice. But I really just, like, don't know what direction. Like, am I supposed to cut my three Nahid's Faithfuls? Because I don't really have a good way to, a cheap way to bring them back. And just go like try to just go all value with the kindling carver, um, sadistic ritualist marsh dragon, um, or do I want all the ways I can to sacrifice because I have a shrine to carve it in a mysterious waystone? That's a good question. Yeah, um, it really is is it's really two decks fighting with each other. Um, 
It's it's three because I also have this great stranger package. I feel yeah. like. Yeah, uh, I mean, this is gonna be this is gonna be one of the problems that you run into, I guess. Um, I mean, I don't want to take like a whole bunch of time like breaking down exactly what I would cut from this deck to make it work, but I think it's a great illustration of the tension that we were talking about before, uh, where like the need to play just good cards, Cinder Dragon, Marsh Dragon, etc., um, and the and the and the desire to try to make some sort of synergy to sort of push it. Uh, push the deck's quality up a notch are often competing. I mean, you don't want to cut Thunder of Wings or Cinder Dragon, even though they don't directly um, contribute to either of your synergy plants. Right, exactly. <laughs> and so, uh, yeah, it's like what I was trying to build this deck, and I just felt like I didn't have space to do everything I wanted to do. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, well, I mean, to... Uh, I think uh, I mean I think we reached a pretty good conclusion with the discussion of it, which is uh, that this is a more this is pretty challenging to draft, but um, uh, drafting a little bit of some some sacrifice rewards and some sacrifice outlets uh, is is possible. It's not easy, but you can do it. And I think the corrupted units help. Like rectifier is already one of the best commons in the format, if not the best common. And it doubles as sacrifice fodder if you mm -hmm. do go into the sacrifice deck. Just another reason why time is overpowered in this format. And uh, I, I guess that's that's kind of the bridge that helps everything actually work. Is that you have uh, is you have corrupted as um, like I would I would say that that uh, that the one power shadow guy that uh, grants quick draw to another unit or to itself. Is mm -hmm. another example of a unit that's basically useful. It doesn't have a huge board impact, but quick draw is not a bad ability if you are aggressive, um, and it can also be sacrificed twice because it creates a shade. So right. that kind of thing, I think, lets you play more than one uh, strategy in the same deck, which I think is pretty much necessary. I don't think you can really go all in on a sacrifice deck uh, in this in this set. Although I'm sure you can get lucky and make it happen occasionally, but it's not it's not easy. Uh, you didn't end up with any uh, what's it called in this deck uh, um, combusts either, which is the best removal that you can have in a sacrifice deck. Right. Yeah. And that's just luck of the draw. So, do you want to go ahead and do? Um, you want to go ahead and do a, a draft to do the beginning of a draft? Yeah, we can do a we'll with do a poll like, and everything. Yeah. We'll see how this goes. Yeah, we'll just see how this goes. I mean, we've run a chat, chat draft before. Uh, so we're not going to be able to have time to play uh, the games for this draft, unfortunately. But what we're going to do um, is we're going to do the beginning of a draft the way we normally do on the podcast. And uh, and uh, normally we like list uh, a few of the cards that are in contention, talk about them between the two of us. Uh, but we're going to loop chat in on this i'm going to put up polls so that we can all vote on the cards and then we'll do discussion as normal but uh chat will have contributed their uh votes as well so uh that's what we're going to do i'm going to get this set up uh we won't unfortunately have time to actually play the games uh because uh, we do have to put a limit on how much time we spend actually <laughs> recording this um but we will have some good discussion i think uh Let's see here. So we just need to get a little bit set up here. Actually have to start Eternal, and then this will be an Eternal uh, stream again. 
All right, let's all let's all pause here while I figure out what the heck I'm doing. Where do I? <laughs> How do I get back to? See, I've never tried to do this where I'm at. Like I thought, uh, it, this seemed pretty smooth until I actually tried to do it. How do I get back to uh, the? I'm noticing, Darkest Tempest, that you seem very embarrassed by everything that doesn't go smoothly here. And uh, I think you may be more embarrassed than I am. <laughs> I feel okay about uh, figuring some of this stuff out on the fly. Let's see. I just yeah, need to... He says that now. You should have heard him pre-recording. I was nervous before, but once we got going, I was fine. <laughs> so I live for making mistakes in front of people. It's totally fine. Uh, let's see. Are you are you good? <laughs> Great. I'm glad to hear it, Darkness Tempest. <laughs> Let's see. Um, just the the difficulty that I'm having is that I'm in the uh, is that I'm in the uh, the the what's it called the giveaway screen, and I don't know how to get back to the main screen from there. Maybe it's just called the editor. Yeah, sure is. Okay, so let's do that. Put eternal up here. Um, all right, all right. So we have eternal up. Uh, this is the farming eternal, um, the farming eternal account, and we fizzle. Will... He didn't trust us enough to do it on his own account. That's not the reason. <laughs> 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 I want, we're doing a joint stream, so we're using the farm, Farming Eternal account. So we will... I'm going to put up a poll. So the way you vote is you type in the digit corresponding uh, to the card. There will be numbers next to the cards. And... I, the, that's on screen. And finally, here is... We've got the instructions for how to draft, and there we go. So that should, that should, that's, this should be working now. <laughs> right? Great. Okay, we've got it all, we've got it all set up. <laughs> got it all set up. Our intro into draft. <laughs> we've, we have, we have, we have begun. So uh, now, so there's a poll up. Uh, whichever card that you would first pick. Go ahead and type the digit, uh, and the uh, poll will keep track of the numbers, and then we'll see what the results are. We'll keep, we'll leave this up for about a minute. What we're going to do is we're going to do the for those of you who haven't listened to the podcast, we're going to do our sort of our normal way. So we'll talk about the cards a little bit, and then we'll kind of bring the chat chat's answer in at the end. I think. Yeah, that makes sense. So we're starting our draft here. This is pack one, pick one. Uh, cards in contention. There are. Two good uncommons, I think. There is Shard Binder, which is the two times three one Overwhelm. The first relic ability you spellcraft or activate each turn costs three less. There's a Wind Conjuring, a three Justice Justice fast spell. Ready a unit, it gets plus four, plus four, and endurance this turn. Decimate, invoke justice. Um, as for the commons, there's a Brood of Aramot which is the 3-3 three, three Dragon and Primal. There's a Burning Core Drake. There's a Biting Wind, a Fury Blade, um, and a card you've been getting higher on, Rage Heart Paladin. Yeah, I have been liking that one a little bit more. So uh, That said, what do you think about this pack? I guess I just go with Wind Conjuring as 
the default in any deck most powerful card. Yeah, it is one of the best uncommons in the entire format, and I don't think there's anything else in this pack on that same power level. Let's take a look at what chat had to say. Um, and uh, chat agrees overwhelmingly uh, that number three, uh, which is... Uh, uh, which, which is Wind Conjuring is the best card. A couple of votes for Shardbinder, and I think Shardbinder is an excellent card. We talked about it earlier. It was my card of the week. Um, but yeah, uh, Wind Conjuring, uh, and we'll have to do an episode just about Invoke at some point, or at least discuss it a little bit more in depth. But Invoke's a little broken because it, uh, it rates legendaries uh, about at the same rate that it does uh, commons, uncommons, and rares. I feel like I see them as often as I do any of the other cards. So you have a chance of getting a, a, a card that's really not designed to be seen in a draft environment off of an uncommon. So uh, it's it's pretty, and it's also clearly a very good uh, combat trick all by itself. So yeah, wind conjuring. Yeah, I think pick. what it, what it is is you don't realize it if you draft a lot, but you know, in a set like uh, Echoes of Eternity. Um, is a little over 200 cards, but only 60 of them are commons. And so, you know, there's actually, of the 200 or so Echo of Eternity cards, there's quite a lot of rares and legendaries. And since Invoke is not weighted, uh, you know, you're, it's almost like a quarter chance to get whichever rarity. So you do see a lot of legendaries because of that, because there is no weighting. Yeah, yeah. I think there probably should be waiting. Yes, I agree. All right, let's take a wind conjuring here and uh, get a get a, uh, our next poll set up. Yes. All right, pick number two. Go ahead and vote on this one. Oh boy. Uh, what what are what are our cards in contention here? All right, sorry, because I have I have I have it open on stream. I have to wait for the delay to happen. Oh right, gotcha. Um, all right, so this is pick two, uh, cards in contention. There is a dark mass stalker, which is the four shadow shadow three five, um, unseen cultist. When a unit goes to the enemy void, dark uh, dark mass stalker gains its battle skills. And it has a mastery of 12. The enemy player discards the top certain number of cards of their deck. Uh, uh, yeah, 12 cards. 12 cards. There's, it's a, it's uh, a very cubicle card. It has uh, mastery 12, discards 12 cards. So I guess not a cube at all. It's a square. <laughs> it's but if you add up its cost and its stats, those are 12. That is true. So it is cubicle, I was right. It is cubicle. We're back to cube. Um, and then in Justice, there is a Mithril Paladin, which is the 6 Justice, Justice, 3-4, Exalted, Mastery 5, play a 3-4 Relic Weapon. <laughs> okay. Can't, can't read, I can't read the cards while you do that. Sorry. <laughs> um, and then... <clears throat> Continuing Shadow, there's a Triumphant Return. And then 
The other uncommon is Touch of Force, which is the three fire, give a unit double damage, and then a weapon or spell or unit in your hand double damage, and there's a turn back time. I think those are kind of the cards that are in contention here. Yeah, what do you think? I would take the Dark Mask Stalker. Yeah, so would I. Um, I'm always a little bit worried when I start moving into Shadow because I'm not sure if the if the commons will be there to support um, what I'm doing. And Dark Mask Stalker does take a little bit of a commitment because it is double influence, but it's such a powerful card. Uh, the stats are so good for its cost, and then you can do so many tricky evil things with it because uh, it gets the battle skills from anything that dies on the uh, opponent's side, so you can purposefully remove things at fast speed if you have a fast removal spell during combat and give it, like, exalted or some other crit you know you can do really crazy things with the card uh as well as just mill them to death occasionally if that's uh if you can if you can give it flying or other evasion and attack them a few times yeah uh, and you know but because the fact it's not when a unit dies it's unlike um the uh the agent of whatever it's called um the three faction guy it's just when a unit goes to the void so you can use mill to get to improve your docs, dark stalker yeah, yeah. too, which is kind of interesting. Yeah, yeah, it's an incredible card. Uh, let's uh, take a look at what chat said. Yeah, most people agree. Um, yep, yep. Everyone's uh, pretty much voting for that one. Let's see what what's uh, what's eleven. Rage. Rage. Oh, so those are joke votes. Cool. All right. Uh, That's what they're feeling at the end. They're feeling rage and they're history. voting for rage. I like rage as an emotion. I'm gonna vote for it. All right, uh, let's start another pick here. Start poll. Take a Dark Mask Stalker. All right, what are our cards in contention here? I don't know yet. Do you want to read them? Yeah, I'll do it. We have a Mark Maker, which is a 3-2 for 3 fire. Uh, summon, play a plus 1 attack weapon with Overwhelm on one of your other units, and it has Corrupted 2, so you can do it again on the way out. Uh, we have a Display of Destruction, which we discussed earlier. Uh, that is the uh, 3 fire time shadow fast spell. Um, it's modal, so you can choose one of these three effects, deal 3 damage to an enemy unit, and you gain 3 health, or... Sacrifice a unit to get six power this turn, or play three one-one cultists, exhausted, uh, and then otherwise those are our two uncommons. An uncommon and a rare missing from this pack. But uh, in our commons, there's a humbug nest, there's a dive bomb, there's a platinum Kieran and a turn back time. I think those are the only relevant cards at this point. What are your thoughts on this? I. <sighs> This is kind of this is where I've changed a bit. I think I would just take Dive Bomb now as a very safe pick. Um, I think at one point when I thought this format was more like six point five, uh, which is the last time we sort of had all of this influence, where it was really easy to do four or five color decks and have them be successful, I might have taken the Display of Destruction because even if you're not in a Sacrifice deck, the first mode is so powerful. Mm -hmm. um, but but I think I'd take Dive Bomb here. You'd take Dive Bomb? I, I'm a little bit lower on Dive Bomb than I have been in the past. I've actually been cutting them from my final decks with a lot of success. Mm -hmm. 
and I've started advising people to take them out too. I think Dive Bomb is at its... It's a, it's always a good card. Like, there's no question that Dive Bomb is powerful. But I think it's at its best if you need flying defense specifically. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's part of what you want. And if you have large ground units that can eventually outright win the game if you play Dive Bomb on them. If you're using it to, just as a general combat trick, it's still a good card, but it is expensive... Um, and I think it's cuttable if you're if you've got a deck that's functional without it. So I, I haven't been taking it as early anymore. Uh, there, no question, it's still a good card, just not as high on it as I used to be. I think I would actually take Mark Maker here because it's super versatile, um, and uh, I, I, I'm usually not disappointed with uh, Mark Maker. It, it's good with flyers. It's pretty good in the sacrifice deck because it sacrifices uh, to for value pretty well. Um, and I don't know what colors I'm going to be in at this point in the draft. Yes. Yeah, I agree. I think probably Mark Maker is a slightly better card than Dive Bomb. So I think the fact that Dive Bomb was Justice and we have Wind Conjuring, which I really want to play, fair enough, led me to Dive Bomb. Also, recently, this is, again, not contradicting, but slightly, I've been having a little bit of success with just like Set 7-style Cambrai aggro decks with some good units and combat tricks and just beating yeah. opponents down. I think that still works. I wouldn't fault anyone for taking just Humbug Nest here or something because it is a, you know, it, it puts two power in the air on turn three and then you can do a lot with it. Mm-hmm. Uh, but also, uh, I guess since we're not in time yet, uh, then that, that also makes sense to do something with Dive Bomb here. Yeah, but we can take Mark Maker. Well, let's take let's take a look at what Chat had to say on this poll. Um, chat is pretty high on Mark Maker themselves, and Dive Bomb is coming in at second. Uh, five with uh, it's real close with five votes for Mark Maker and four uh, four for Dive Bomb. Um, and I think both of them are defensible picks at this point for sure. So let's go ahead and take a mark maker, but it was definitely close. Yeah. All right, let's set up a new poll for this next pick. Take mark maker, and here's our next pack. So cards in contention are big old Shugo's Hooked Sword. That is a seven fire fire relic weapon. It has seven five. Uh, whenever you deal damage, you play a two-two Oni Grunt. Um, that's a that's a standout card for sure. Uh, I think we all know by now if you have played this format at all that it's a powerful uncommon. Other cards in the pack worth considering. There's another Dive Bomb. Uh, there's a Tainted Mark, which is a lot uh, higher in my rankings than it was at the start of the format. There's a Siege Provisions, which is the um, I guess I should explain all of these as we go through them, right? Uh, Tainted Mark is the five power. Uh, primal cursed relic that says whenever one or more units hit the cursed player draw a card siege provisions is two justice uh relic it says once per turn you may pay three to give one of your units plus two plus two an endurance this turn uh it has spellcraft one play endure which makes one of your units indestructible for the turn um i think that's about it yeah i agree and i think this is uh for me would be pretty easily the sword yeah, I've had real good results with Sword myself. It's a it's it's one of the sort of outstanding cards in the format that you want to top out your deck with. Yeah. 
because it kills absolutely anything and then leaves behind a body uh, in case you didn't kill, like, you, you can kill, like, their largest thing. Probably the sword is still around because it didn't have four attack power, and now you've got a blocker, so they can't immediately kill your weapon. So you probably get at least two grunts off of it. And with all of the weapon recursion in the format, sometimes you can bring the stupid thing back and make more units. Yes, and and also this is a slightly biased, but I haven't been I haven't successfully drafted the weapon deck yet. So yeah, and I have, and uh, I don't, I'm not sure whether I've had Shugo's hooked sword in it, but uh, that's never for lack of wanting one. You know, <laughs> like with the relic weapon deck. Like, this is either this or Edge of Prophecy is what you want to top out at. You know, you've got your Blade Crafters to, to tutor up your um, your big weapons for you. And uh, so you get to draw your Hooked Sword or your Edge of Prophecy whenever you want it. and, and uh, Which means when you're at 7 power and you draw a Blade Crafter, you want something massive to actually get out of your deck. And this is one of the best things you can... One of the best things for that situation. Yeah. All right, so let's take the sword here. All right, and I, I bet Chad agrees with us here, but let's take a quick look at it. Uh, overwhelmingly for the Shugo's Hooked Sword. Uh, so I think everyone uh, in chat is on board with that. New poll. Take a Shugo's Hooked Sword. Uh, so in this next pack, uh, well, uh, there's, a, there's a few good cards here. There's a Touch of Force, uh, which is the fast spell that gives one of your units double damage and then gives a unit weapon or spell in your hand double damage. It costs three fire. There's a Siege Provisions, another Siege Provisions. There's a Covetous Stranger, which is the 2-1 uh, 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 Stranger that costs two fire and says whenever one or more strangers attack, their owner creates and draws a treasure trove. And uh, other than that, let's see, there's an Enchanted Plate Mail, which is uh, a 5 Justice 3-3 three, three Relic Weapon. It has Pledge, which makes it awesome. <laughs> and then it has Spellcraft 2 uh, Play Inspire, which uh, draws a card and gives plus 1, plus 1 to the next uh, unit or weapon on top of your deck. Uh, I think Platinum Kieran would also be in contention normally, but I feel like the cards, those first five, uh, four cards are the ones that we're really talking about here. Yes, I agree. Um, and yeah, I'm, uh, I guess I, I go with Siege Provisions as the most flexible card in mm -hmm. the sense that it could go in the most decks. You know, the Touch of Force is kind of cute if you do end up in a weapon deck, but, um, you're not necessarily ending up in a weapon deck. And so it's, it is... Uh, what's the word? Um, chat, stop, stop paying attention to the chat and help me here. I'm Sorry, wondering. I thought you were okay. <laughs> uh, not marginal. What's the word? Uh, I, mediocre. No, that can't be used in all situations. Um, oh, uh, situational. Situational. Thank you. Oh my god. <laughs> You're up there. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's it's the more situational card. Uh, yeah, it, yeah, it is. Um, I think I take siege provisions. I think siege provisions on sheer power level for sure. 
Uh, it is possible to end up with too many unit buffs and not enough units, um, but it's nice to pick up a Siege for Visions. It's a weird card because it is strong, but you don't want to draw that many duplicates. So yes. I always feel a little weird picking up one this early. Um, but it is a very strong card. Like it, it, it lets you it lets you break through um, blockades over a long period of time really effectively. So I've generally been pretty happy with it. Yeah. Covetous Stranger is a weird card where it doesn't end up in a lot of my decks, and I I think it's because I don't pick it very early because I always want to make sure I have enough Strangers to make it work, and then I just never see them in pack four. Yeah, and I, I've found with Covetous Stranger that, uh, like, the the top end on the, on the card, like, the its best-case scenario is really good, but I don't know how often it actually ever gets to do anything meaningful because sometimes... Like it just can't attack profitably. Uh, either it normally it gets to trade with something, and then you get to replace it, and that's pretty good. But more often you have to like attack some of your strangers into uh, a force that will just eat them alive without any gain, and then you're just replacing your bad strangers with more cards, and you're spinning your wheels again. Um, so I like it fine if you have backup for it, like a lot of removal, so it can attack repeatedly. But uh, I'm I, I'm not crazy about just sort of throwing it in the deck just because its potential is so good. Yeah. Um, well, I I agree. I would take a siege provisions here. Um, let's see if chat agrees with us. Chat is split between siege provisions and covetous stranger, which I think is totally reasonable. Uh, it's a little bit ahead on Siege Provision, so we're going to take that here. But like Covetous Stranger's top end is really good, and we are mostly in fire. So let's uh, go ahead and take Siege Provisions. Yeah. And then take a look at the next pack. Yeah. I will say this pack, I think, showed how maybe you and I are a little further down than the general public on Covetous Stranger, which is kind of interesting. Yeah, I don't think the general public is wrong about it. I just haven't had personal success with it. You know, all my experiences with the format are, are, are mine and mine alone. Yes. So uh, in this pack, we are, uh, we're seeing, uh, let's see, we're seeing a Burning Core Drake. That's a three fire fire, three one flying unit with uh, Reckless, so it attacks every turn, and uh, it has Mastery 9. Once it's done 9 damage, it creates and draws 3 Treasure Troves, each of which can draw cards of their own. Uh, there's a Blade Crafter, which is a 4 Fire Fire 2-2. Two, two. Uh, its summon ability is to draw a weapon of your choice from your deck, and it has Corrupted 6, so after it dies, you can pay 6 to do that again. And there's also a Rectifier, which is the 3-time 2-1 uh, that we talk about a lot. Its summon ability is that you may silence another unit, and it has Corrupted 2. Uh, what do you think about this pack? Um, I I think pre previous I would have taken Burning Core Drake, but the fact that we have a Shugo's Hook Sword and this card has constantly overperformed for everyone else drafting it um, makes me now, if we pick the Fire card, lean towards Blade Crafter. But there's also a Rectifier in a pack and. It is always hard, I think, to pass up a rectifier. So I do think there's an argument for it. Um, so I don't know if I'm sort of going too on rails by taking the Blade Crafter to go with our Shugo Hook Sword, or if I should just take a rectifier, because that's always good in any deck, and it's easy to splash. 
Yeah, I don't think it's a, a super clear pick. We've been seeing a trickle of time cards, but they've been Platinum Kirins, which isn't a super powerful card that you take early, but it is playable in some decks. And uh, that might mean that that was the only time card available for uh, the first five picks for people. And so that's why we're seeing a Rectifier now, is everyone kind of decided not to be in time, and so they're passing one of the best commons. Uh we know for sure that fire is open, though, because if you see Burning Core Drake and Bladecrafter this far into a pack, it means somebody's not taking fire ahead of you. Uh, several people in a row have decided to pass, like, two of the good commons in fire. So, like, I feel like we'll be safe in the fourth pack and with picking up some more good fire and probably justice cards. Probably. <laughs> we don't have any justice in this pack. So, yeah, I would say Bladecrafter, because Bladecrafter is a Shugo's Hooked Sword at this point. It says draw a Shugo's Hooked Sword, which is a really good thing for a card to say on it. Yes. So I would probably go for the Blade Crafter here. Yeah, let's do that. All right. See if Chad agrees. I would expect them to have voted a little bit for each one of them, but uh, overwhelmingly for the Blade Crafter here uh, with, uh, with, uh, with some token Rectifier love thrown in as well. So, yeah, more or less how we feel about it. And do another poll, taking the Blade Crafter new pack. So um, we're seeing here cards in contention. I think we have to mention Razor Pain Hellkite. It is a six power fire primal shadow four five flying dragon that gets plus two attack for every treasure trove in your void. It also has an ability where you can pay eight to deal damage for each different name among your dragons. Um, that's a showy card. Uh, it uh, nobody wants it apparently. <laughs> is Other that card... a showy card? I think you're higher on this card than I am. I I mean it has a lot of text on it. Really, that's that's the main showy thing about it. I know. It wants to be showy. Look at I, it. Look how fiery and dangerous looking it is. <laughs> that's the thing. But it's like near and I don't know. I never have treasure troves in my deck to make it anything more or in my void to ever make it anything more than a four or five. Yeah, that's true. And the <laughs> paying eight to usually deal one damage also yeah. kind of expensive. Mm -hmm. I almost feel like. In most of my dragon decks, I would rather just have the uh, the seven cost mastery permafrost guy. That's like an ability I like. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. It That's is much a bit better. A, a bit of a tangent, but I've been yeah. like, it's not a great card. with this card. It's not a great card. Uh, I think you have to have an awful lot of dragon stuff going on before it's it's better. Because there aren't that many ways to create treasure troves, too. But there are two commons that can do it. They just have to jump through a few hoops. Uh, and we do have a Covetous Stranger here. We also have a Rage Heart Paladin, which uh, goes really well with uh, the two attachments that we have. Uh, Rage Heart Paladin is the five power... Uh, sorry, uh, five justice justice four two with life steal. Um, and it gets plus health equal to the highest cost among your relics. So it's a 4-4 with lifesteal when you have a Siege Provisions out. And if you have a Shugo's Hooked Sword out, it's a 4-9. Four 4-9 nine. Four nine lifesteal. And I think those are the only two cards that are the only two cards that are seriously in contention. Rage Heart Paladin and Covetous Stranger. We also have a token of creation, which uh, 
is the uh, which is the sigil that uh, comes into play depleted and makes fire time or justice. Yes. Yeah, and I think that would be a good token for us, but with I don't think I'd pick it over these two cards just yet. No, there's still really good commons on their own, so yeah, we don't really need the fixing over playable commons. So what would you say between Paladin and Stranger? I don't know. I, my natural tendency would be to take the Covetous Stranger, but you have been teaching me the way of the Rage Heart Paladin, so I might take it... If I think I would take it now as more of an ex, experimental pick for me because I have not played very many Rage Heart Paladins so far this format. Yeah, I think as, a, as an experimental pick to get an idea of how good it is, I think that would be good. Um, I think Rage Art Paladin would be good in this deck, but I would actually lean towards Covetous Stranger here for the very reason that we actually have a lot of ways to help it attack uh, mm-hmm. in an unusual twist for decks in this format. We have a Wind Conjuring, we have a Siege Provisions, we have Mark Maker, which lets it get in and attack without dying, perhaps, against something with three toughness. Like, it's actually looking pretty good if we want to get a Covetous Stranger down on two and then attack with it. Yeah, I, I like that. And I do think, someone mentioned this in chat, but... Um... I do think you see more Rage Heart Paladins. Yeah, past, they're a five drop and they're easier to pick up. Yeah. Yeah, then you do Covetous Stranger. So I, I like the fact that you said Covetous Stranger, because that's honestly where my initial instincts would be. Yeah, yeah, I totally agree with that. Um, let's see where the chat voting is. Uh, it, they're also going for Covetous Stranger. It's between Rage Heart Paladin and Covetous Stranger, but there's a ratio of two to one uh, uh, in the voting for, for the Covetous Stranger. So, and I, I think that's correct. Yeah, there are some vociferous uh, defenses of uh, Rage Heart Paladin. Yeah, uh, for, for sure. Um, I think it's totally a defensible pick. I just would happen to go to Covetous Stranger in with this particular um, with this particular deck layout that we've got going so far. All right, so next pack um, we have in contention. We have another Rage Heart Paladin. We also have Willbreaker, which we discussed earlier, which is the uh, which is the one two for two justice double damage, and it plays a minus one attack curse on each enemy unit with flying when it comes into play. And on its way out, it has corrupted three to do it again. I think that's about it. We also have a fanatical stranger that would be in shadow. That's the one. Uh, that's the three one for three that uh, that lets strangers create tokens. There's mm-hmm. a Zolta Exile, which is 3 Justice, 2-2 two, two with Aegis and Endurance, um, and a token of tradition that makes time, justice, or primal. All right, and I think this is a Rage Heart Paladin. I think it is, too. Yeah. See if chat has any disagreement. Uh, but we were we almost picked one last time, and here chat is unanimous for the Rage Heart Paladin. So we'll see if we have any more actual contentious picks in the rest of the pack. But they, it might be a cakewalk from here on out. Yeah, no, I, I, we'll I, we up, don't, we'll we don't have to another poll anyway. We don't have Just to read all the cards from now because we'll yeah. stop doing the draft on the podcast now. All right, so here there's not really a vote to be had. Um, there's a turn back time, and I think it's the only thing that we're likely to play because we might eventually splash time. Uh, the other cards aren't really playable. Overlook Spotter is playable, but I don't think we're we're splashing Primal to play a one three that is occasionally much much better. So I would say turn back time here, unless you disagree for any reason. Nope. Nope. Okay. Um, and then we've got an assault shield and not really anything else. 
So I would take. Oh, I guess with the, we could talk about Cookmaster, but I think Assault Shield is just better. Cookmaster is such a bad card. Cookmaster is bad. And here there's a Sunset Enforcer and an Assault Shield. Sorry, I, I meant to I meant to finish the poll so that it wouldn't be confusing here. Okay. I like I was watching someone um I forget who was playing, um and their opponent had a cookmaster and they, their opponent was like doing the thing I guess you would imagine you were doing with a cookmaster, because they they were like they had a covetous stranger, so they were drawing cards, they were drawing treasures playing the treasure and so their cookmaster was getting up to like seven one nine ones or whatever and they couldn't they couldn't attack because their opponent had a one one on board and yeah it's just like yeah that's the problem with it i think there's a there's a sort of a stone scar deck that i haven't really explored that much where attack power matters on cards I believe Cookmaster still gets its bonus when it's in the void. So if you played like a Skeletal Dragon or something, you could uh, get bonuses off of it. Um, that's the but reason why. But is the Skeletal Dragon a summon or no? Yeah, it's a summon. Okay, so, so you'd have to like draw a bunch of cards, then play the Skeletal Dragon. It's not yeah. like as like, you draw cards, the Skeletal Dragon gets bigger. Like right, a exactly. Paladin. I'm not. I'm not. I'm not totally sure if what I'm saying works. I don't know if I think it does, but I'm not totally sure about that. Uh, but this is not, this is not the, and also because you can give quick draw with the, with the shadow one drop, you can give all of your high attack units uh quick draw uh, that exists, but it's not this deck, obviously, as, uh, as, as some folks are saying in chat, Yeah, um, I agree. but it is, um, but there's an attack matters stone scar deck that exists somewhere in this draft format that I want to try at some point, And that would be, you know, that then, then there would be a use for Cookmaster. What do we take between Enforcer and Assault Shield here? Probably just Enforcer, right? We're not going to play a ton of Assault Shields. Oh, I wasn't going to play an Enforcer, but... Okay, well, we can take Assault Shield and then... Well, I guess uh, we'll we already algorithm. have one, so I don't know. Uh, we'll just take the Assault Shield. I don't think it matters here. Uh, and then a Static Discharge, the worst common in the set. <laughs> so, do we want to stop here? Do we want to continue doing... This is as far as we usually go with these. Yeah, the I think... What, why don't... Why don't we read the end of the? Sh I'll read. I'll close out the show, and then I'll stop recording. And then, okay. if you want, we could finish the draft. Okay, we're gonna put the draft on pause for now. All right, so that's our show. Thank you again to all our patrons for making the show a success. Thanks to everyone in chat for coming out for our episode fifty Patreon goal live show extravaganza. Uh, that was a lot of fun. I I hope. And for those of you who are not patrons, uh, a reminder to give us a five-star rating or review on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play. If you're not subscribed, subscribe to one of wherever you gain your podcasts. And join us in our Discord, where you can find a link to the show notes, uh, where you download podcasts on your favorite podcast app. And finally, thumbs up all of Raven Dragon's Reddit posts. It really helps. I think Reddit is one of the best ways to to get new listeners to the show. So uh, moving that up the charts, also giving comments to on the episodes really helps do that too. And don't forget to send in all your seven win deck lists you do this week to farmingeternal at gmail.com or the seven win channel on Discord. And remember to keep on farming. Have a good night. Have a good night. Bye. <laughs>